This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial conflict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Thambergas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. To listen to all our shows, just go to veritasradio.com and subscribe. You'll have access to all our seasons going back to 2008, and you'll receive your login immediately. And have you listened to Sanitas Radio yet? It can improve and maybe even save your life or that of a loved one. You won't want to miss it. That's if you want to take control of your life. Go to sanitasradio.com to listen and subscribe. And don't forget, you can purchase MMS directly from us, as well as our futuristic metal-cased USB drives with all our seasons and bonus material. Just visit the Veritas store. And to get in touch with us, for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. And tonight, we, the, mythologize some of our modern history with our special guest, Ty Bollinger. Right now, on Veritas. Ty Bollinger is a happily married husband and father, a CPA, health freedom advocate, cancer researcher, former competitive bodybuilder, talk radio host, and best-selling author. After losing several family members to cancer, including his mother and father. Ty refused to accept the notion that chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery were the most effective treatments available for cancer patients. He began a quest to learn all he possibly could 
about alternative cancer treatments and the medical industry. What he uncovered was shocking. Ty published his latest book, Monumental Myths of the Modern Medical Mafia and Mainstream Media and the Multitude of Lying Liars that Manufactured Them in November 2013. This book shatters over 30 myths, some of them medical and health-related, some of them political, some of them economic. It's a great book to put on your coffee table to stimulate conversation and help quote-unquote wake up those who are still sleeping. He has written other books, including Cancer, Step Outside the Box. And to learn more about Ty Bollinger and his work, visit his websites at mythbustersbook.com and infinity510partners.com. And directly from somewhere between San Antonio and Austin, Texas, I'm privileged to welcome my new brother in truth, Ty Bollinger. Hello, Ty, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hey, Mel, doing great, brother. It's, it's good to, to talk to my new brother in truth as well. So thank you so much for having me on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Let me just uh, thank our, our friend David Wise, uh, one of our listeners who always recommends great people. And I'm glad that because of David, we have converged here today. But let me just say something for the audience. I read your latest book, Ty, and we also have a health show. So what we have done, and you have been so kind to accept another invitation for an upcoming show on Sanitas. That's what we're going to be dealing with, all the health-related aspects and the conspiracies related to, uh, to health. But today we're going to focus on what's behind the scenes ruling the world and a lot of the myths that are out there portrayed as truth, they're not. First of all, I understand what really motivated you to, to write all these books was something very personal. I want to start from there because a lot of our listeners may not know who you are. Can you start from there? Sure. Yeah, Mel, that's, that's a great way to start because I, I never would have imagined in 1991 when I graduated out of Baylor University with a master's degree in taxation that that uh, 20 plus years later, I would be doing what I'm doing. Um, I, you know, my schooling is in, in accounting. I have a graduate degree in taxation. And for seven years after I got out of school, I was working as a CPA and a director of tax. And well, actually, even more than seven years, over a decade, actually. Um, my father got sick in 1996 and my world changed. Um, we went to his house and he had a, he had a real bad stomach ache. He'd been having a bad stomach ache for a, for a couple of weeks. And my wife, Charlene and I went to the house and he doubled over in pain and I've never seen him in so much pain. So we took him to the hospital and the doctor went in and said, he's got gallstones. So that they said, well, we got to take out the gallstone. So they went in for gallstone surgery. They came out about six hours later and the doctor was in tears and they said, his stomach is riddled with cancer. We're going to need to take out his whole stomach. So they did. They gave him a total gastrectomy, and over the course of the next 25 days, they gave him 19 blood transfusions because they totally screwed up the surgery, and he died in 25 days. Uh, 25 days in the hospital, he was dead. That was that was the uh, the start of my uh, diving deep down inside the rabbit hole, searching, researching cancer and cancer treatments and the cancer industry and what I call now the medical mafia, and it just. I, it just went from there. I lost over the course of the next few years after dad died. I lost my mother, both grandfathers, grandmother, an uncle, and a cousin to cancer. And eventually that's when I published my first book, Cancer Step Outside the Box, in, in 2004. It's very interesting how a lot of the people who become truth seekers the way you have is because they have gone through some personal traumatic experience, whether it happens to a relative of to your, or to yourself. It happened to me yeah. as well. And if it wasn't because of those moments, we wouldn't be here talking perhaps, and you have opened your eyes to cancer. I uh, 
not to get into the health part, but I uh, have spoken to many, including Dr. Stanislav Buzinski and many others. Mm-hmm. There are ways to cure cancer without the standard of care parameters that are that are imposed to all doctors, to all mm-hmm. oncologists. That's what they learn in, in in medical school. You know, chemotherapy, radiation, surgery. That's that. Those are the three tools they have in their toolbox, and they don't seem to get to go outside that box. Even some of the people that I've spoken to get calls from oncologists who say, can you sell me some of your creams? And the person mm-hmm. says, wait yeah. a minute, what do you mean? You're going to start selling them on your practice? Oh, no, 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 no. This is confidential. This is just for my family. If I were to use that in my practice, I would lose my license. Yes. Yeah. You know, Mel, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. It's ironic, actually. I'm not at liberty to mention names, but I've, I, I could probably give you a dozen oncologists who have contacted me over the past eight years and asked me what I thought they should do to treat their cancer or the cancer of a loved one because they weren't going to do chemo and radiation because they knew it didn't work. So it's, it's really bizarre, isn't it, to have an oncologist calling a CPA to ask what, what, how they should treat cancer. You would think they would know, but they don't. <laughs> exactly. And it's because they ha- they've just not been taught good protocols in school. It's not their fault. They've been, they, they learned what they were taught. But hey, if you weren't taught proper protocol, then you can't, you, you can't cure anything. You can't cure cancer if you're not taught the proper way to treat it. And they have not been tr- taught good protocols in, in medical school to treat cancer. And of course, and, and we can end the health-related part with this, the FDA and the MAA are, are the, the mafia, the leg breakers, the ones who are really protecting their client, which is mm-hmm. big pharma. But I enjoy yeah. the humor throughout uh, your book, even though you're dealing with issues, topics that are important and serious, but it's important to keep the humor. You say that you know the doctor... And, and, you know, doctors have been mis, you have not been miseducated as they have. And you even include <laughs> this in, in small print at the end of every email. You say, quote, hey, FBI, CIA, and NSA, Homeland Security, have a nice day, take a break, have a donut. <laughs> I had to laugh <laughs> about that. Yeah, yeah, you know, I've had that. I've had a disclaimer like that for about seven or eight years. It used to be a lot more serious. It used to be, hey, NSA, FBI, CIA, you're breaking the the first, fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth amendments or whatever they were uh, of the United States Constitution. But now I, I decided to lighten it up a little bit and, and just said, hey, go have a donut, take a break. Now let's start with the mainstream media. I call it the mainstream me- mediaopoly. They seem to be nothing more than a bunch of uh, teleprompter reading idiots, intellectual prostitutes, or as you say, prostitutes. prostitutes. Let's start from there. Yeah, they are. You know, one of the examples that I use in my book was the the crash of the Oceana airliner out in, in San Francisco back this past summer. And and I don't know if you've seen the, the video Certainly. footage. You can, you know, you can go out and look for it. But the, 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 the lady that was the, the head reporter was obviously just reading what she was told. And she said, okay, we've, this is a breaking news. We've just found the names of the pilots. They were Something Wong, We Too Low, Holy Fook, and Bing Bang Ow. And she read them just like they were gospel truth. And it turns out they had been pranked by somebody at the, at the uh, what was it, the NTSB? That's right. I think it was, yeah, I think it was the NTSB. Somebody had, had pranked them and didn't have any idea they were actually going to read it. But that's just indicative. You know, I don't blame the, uh, the anchor. She's just doing what she's learned to do. We don't really have investigative reporters per se anymore. We just have people that read teleprompters. They, they read what they're told. And so that was just what she did on a nightly basis. She read the teleprompter and it just didn't connect in her little synapses up in her brain that these, these were really 
not the names. This was somebody pranking her, and she just continued to read them. So that's just indicative of the state of reporting and and uh, the news in today's society. It's really not news. It's just reading the talking points that they've been provided by those that are higher up. And you know, Karita says all the media. I mean, we have great people like Ben Swan. We have Amber Lyons and, and others. But most of the others, as long as you are pretty or handsome and you know how to read, you get a job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that is pretty much the main criteria now. If if you're a female, you've got to be attractive to get a job. And you know, the guys are pretty good looking too, except for you know, I can name out name a few, but I won't. Yeah, <laughs> but typically, yeah. yeah. If you're if you're good looking, you can get a job as a reporter nowadays. And but as you said, you know, Ben Swan, uh Amber Lyon, I was just on Carol Alt show on Fox News and was able to talk about the medicinal values of the hemp plant. And so I was amazed that that actually made it onto Fox. But Judge Andrew Napolitano, those are, those are several that I list in the book of people that I do respect that, are, that, that have their own shows or have had their own shows and are, and are really seeking after the truth. But the majority are not. The majority are just, they're, they're just doing it for the, for the paycheck and for the fame. And speaking of the hemp industry, we can do an entire show of hemp industry. If we want to really revive the economy, we can talk about that. But what do you think yes. is the reason that we're being systematically poisoned with uh, mercury in vaccines, heavy metals, and food in their food, and toxic chemicals in countless products and, and even chemtrails? Is the word here lobotomy? Well, you know, it's it's uh, that's part of it. It, it. We are being slowly lobotomized. We're being slowly controlled. We're being systematically sickened. And I, I believe that the the end game is the depopulation of the world. Uh, if you look at the Georgia Guidestones, then we've got their the, the globalists end game hidden in plain sight. They want to reduce the world population to 500 million people. That means we needed to go between 80 and 90 percent reduction of where we are right now. And, then, and it's a slow kill. I mean, they, they you know, you're going to get some people that die in wars and you're going to get people that die in, in, in you know, nuclear bombs, nuclear explosions and, and different traumatic, you know, one off events, false flag events. You're going to get people to die. But what a better way if you're a, a scumbag globalist that has no conscience and, and no is a sociopath, has no social conscience. What a better way to reduce the world's population than to systematically poison the air, poison the food, poison the water and get people to eat it and drink it willingly. I mean, what, what, a, what a better plan. That's what's going on. We are being systematically poisoned and they're not having to force it in our mouth to eat or to drink. We're doing it on our own. I always say that the biggest conspiracy of all is the secret to our own potential. Uh, you know, people call it dumbing down. But as you say, I think it's shutting off the higher cognitive function so that we are disconnected from our own true potential as a spiritually aware human being. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And, and people here, I, I did not used to believe that, Mel. When I first published the book on cancer in 2006, I was not awake to, to what's going on. I'd, I'd waked up to the, the medical industry and the cancer industry, but I was not awake to a lot of other things. And it was shortly after I published the book that I woke up to a lot of other issues and, and then went deep, deep, deep down inside the rabbit hole. But at first, I didn't. I was not aware of this. And, and if you had told me this in 2005, I would have told you that you were crazy. And I did tell people that they were crazy when they told me these things. But once I woke up, I realized I was the one that was asleep and they were the ones that were actually sane and were telling me the truth. I woke up to the medical industry in the early 90s, but it wasn't until probably 2005, and I've told the story many times, that one of my brothers brought a presentation of how the, the Pentagon 
uh, the, during 9-11 that a plane didn't crash mm-hmm. there. And I thought the first knee-jerk reaction was, are you implying that our well-intentioned government has something to do with this? And I really, I stopped talking to him for a couple of months. I was offended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I started looking yeah. into it in silence. And I said to myself, my goodness, we've been duped. Is that what happened to you? That is, that's very similar. Very similar to what happened. What happened to me, I, I published my book on cancer. One of the doctors that I quoted extensively in the book emailed me uh, at, right, shortly after I published the book. And he, he told me he wanted me to watch a video. And so I said, what's it about? He said, 9-11. I said, what about 9-11? He said, it was an inside job. And it, at which point I told him he was crazy. And, and so that's our, that's our knee-jerk reaction, isn't it? If somebody believes in one of these, quote, conspiracy theories, we, we call them names. We tell them they're crazy. So I did like a good sheeple would do. I called him a name. Well, that's what I was taught to do. But he said, look, you, you thought I was uh, sane enough to quote me extensively in your book, so why don't you give it a look before you name call? And if you, if you watch the DVD and you still think I'm nuts, then you feel free to call names. But until that time, don't call me names. So I said, okay, that's fair enough. I will watch the video. And so I watched the video with the intention of proving him wrong. Uh, but the problem was that he was right. And, and I watched the video with an open mind. And I woke up to 9-11 at that point. And then it was from there, it was like a snowball effect, Mel. And, and I could do nothing but research. And my wife could do nothing but research. We woke up the same night in front of the DVD player. And at that point, we both started researching. And and the list goes on and on and on of the of the different conspiracies that we woke up to that are not conspiracy theories. They are conspiracy facts. And who wants to hear the truth when there are so many comfort and lies? That's what a lot of people think. Yeah. But you say that, yeah. uh, you know, rather than saying in gut we trust, perhaps the new national, national motto of the USA should be stop yourself with food, <laughs> root for your favorite sports team dismiss anyone who questions the government or acts unpatriotic and cheer on the imperial war machine how important <laughs> yeah that i mean it's i laugh it's 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 sad that that's that's really what's going on i mean you, we couldn't have a, a more timely discussion two days after the super bowl right i mean look the most watched sporting event in the world and that is what most of america lives for and you could, you, you literally, I mean, I, I believe you could literally, some of these guys that are out there mind controlled and mind numbed and just rooting on their sports teams and drunk and, and eating all these foods that are addictive foods that are lobotomizing them. You could probably molest their children in front of them and they wouldn't care as long as their, their team was winning. And it's sad. Men have, have men are not men anymore. They are, they're childish boys that are letting these globalist scumbag cockroaches destroy the country and as long as they've got their beer and pizza and their TV clicker so they can watch their sports they are more than happy to to remain asleep even though they know let me tell you something people know something's wrong but many of them just turn off the switch and go back to sleep because they don't want to know these uncomfortable truths as Mark Twain said and I use this in my book it's easier to fool people than to convince them that they've been fooled Exactly. And I think uh, the Roman Empire never fell. It's right here. And speaking of Rome, Rome, modern day America is like ancient Rome meets 1984, meets the Hunger Games. It's the perfect storm. Is Do you think that's where we are? I, we are. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. It's really, it really never ceases to amaze me. The people that I previously thought were intelligent people that I will approach with these facts. And, and that's why I wrote this book, Monumental Myths, was to give people a, a one-stop shop, 
I guess that's what you would say. It uh, one one book that has all of these different conspiracy real realities, not not theories. These are realities, and I've outlined the facts that back them up. They're all in one book, so you can share this with people, and they can hopefully wake. You can wake up your friends and family. But I'm never. I, I never cease to be amazed at the people that will look at these subjects and just laugh, put down the book, turn it off, tell me I'm crazy go back to their sticking their head in the sand. They just don't want to know the truth. Some of them, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing, but I have been really encouraged, Mel, because since I published this book, there have been people that I've been privileged to know for years and years that I never thought would wake up that are starting to wake up. And I think it's because of this book, because the way that it's outlined, it's not, as you said, it's kind of funny. It's light. It, um, it really just presents the fact that we've been lied to. I don't, I try not to give people, all the answers as to what I think might have happened on these events, what I try to do is to present the official story, aka the monumental myth, in such a way that they know that it couldn't be true. And then they go from there. You can go from there and decide what you think is true. But my goal was to wake up people to the fact that we've been lied to. And I think the book does a pretty good job of that. I'm encouraged with the people that I've been uh, contacted by since I published this book that, that are, are saying, hey, my, my, my mom, my dad, my friends, my family are, are reading your book and they're actually, they're open to it now. So thank you for, for this book. And that was my goal. I'm, I'm really encouraged. I think it's also because you are a respectable member of the community. You are a CPA, you're an entrepreneur and all, you know, so many things that are atypical. In my case, I have a finance and business background. Why in the world would people like us start looking into this? That many people would no. say, why don't you just toy the party line? Why don't you just continue playing the game? I think that some people are just by nature truth seekers. And that, that's why I'm so happy to, to be talking to you today. You're my new brother in truth. People that want to know the truth they don't stop at anything and they don't stop because somebody says that it's crazy. They don't stop because somebody says that they, that's, you, you know, I, here's something I said before I woke up, Mel, there, it was back at 2003, 2004. It was right after we went into Iraq and Afghanistan. And I remember seeing people that were questioning the official story about 9-11 and questioning the government. And I remember I said to one of my, one of my mates that I worked with that, those people that were questioning the government in a time of war should be put in prison without a trial. I said that. And I look back on that now and I think, man, I cannot believe that I said that. But see, that's, the, that's what we are taught. That's what the mainstream media tells us is you shut up, you tow the party line, and you don't question the government. Now, used to, if you question the government, that was what a patriot was. Now, a patriot in the, in the new vernacular is somebody that shuts up and does what they're told. And a terrorist is now somebody that questions the government. See, everything's been reversed, but I think at the bottom, but the bottom of the, of, of the pile, I am a truth seeker. And so eventually I was bound to wake up despite some of the idiotic things that I said in the past, I, I was bound to wake up because at my heart, I, I am a seeker of truth. And so are you. And so are the people listening to the show. You know, I'm just thinking, we have such a similar trajectory when it comes to how we woke up because back when 20, 2001 happened, I remember I was standing in front of the TV at one of my businesses and one of my patrons came to me looking at the, the, the images and the first thing I said was, what are we waiting for? 
Let's go bomb the hell out of them. Immediately, mm-hmm. a day or two after when they said that it was Osama bin Laden. This is how brainwashed and asleep I was. Yes. I, you, we sound like we, we woke up in much the same way, and it sounds like that previous to waking up, we were both pretty staunch in our uh, in our uh, brainwashing. I mean, we did not want to give it up, and, and I, I was the same way. I remember the day that 9-11 happened, we went over to some relatives' house. We lived in Pittsburgh at that time, and I remember specifically because I was working in, a, in one of the high-rises in downtown Pittsburgh, and if you remember – they were speculating that the, the flight 93 that that allegedly uh, crashed in Shankstown, Pennsylvania, they were thinking that it might be headed towards Pittsburgh. So they evacuated our building. Downtown Pittsburgh was chaos. I mean, you could not get out of the city. But I remember that day, later that day, we went to some relatives' ta- house that was just outside of the city. And I remember saying, what are we waiting for, too, just like you? Let's go bomb. Let's just go kill all the Muslim countries. Just, just let's, bomb, let's eliminate them from the face of the earth. You know, <laughs> I look back on that and I'm ashamed that I could ever think that way. But I was I was the victim of brainwashing. And ju- just like people are today, I was I was a good sheeple at that point. Yes, yes. And we're not embarrassed to admit it because we are now showing the transition and the transmutation. Yeah. We're transmuting all that anger that we had before into being truth seekers. But, um, mm-hmm. you know. What's it about? Let's go now talking about the, the foundations of all of this, the, the, this evil. The biggest philanthropist, quote-unquote philanthropist in the USA, the Rockefellers. And of course, the philanthropy part is, is just a myth. They're really involved in social Darwinism, eugenics. Why don't we start from there? Sure. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, the, the, the eugenics programs in Nazi Germany, they, they took their playbook right from the Rockefellers here in, in the United States. So, you know, in, in the book, I do have a whole chapter dedicated to the Rockefellers. And it, they, John Rockefeller Foundation actually funded the work of Margaret Sanger, who, was, who, who, is the, uh, who Planned founded Parenthood. Planned Parenthood, and a huge eugenicist, wanted to get rid of the black, any, any of the dysgenic stocks is what she called them, the blacks, the Jews, the, the Hispanics, anybody that was, that was not a, a perfect white person, in her opinion, should be killed. And so that was her goal. And this, her Planned Parenthood, that was the founding of Planned Parenthood, which I also talk about in the book. But that was funded by the Rockefeller Foundation. It's, it's amazing the connections that John Rockefeller had. I mean, he was connected to, to um, the, uh, the, the theory of, of John uh, Galton, I believe it was his name, right? Which, is, which was uh, Galton and Darwin and Huxley. They, they all were the ones that were, were influential in the selective breeding process. They wanted to create this superhuman breed. Now, Rockefeller uh, was, was uh, f- kind of followed that playbook. I wouldn't say that he was necessarily connected to, to Galton and, and Darwin and Huxley, but he followed that playbook because he was a eugenicist. And some of the guys that were part of the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute in Germany that Rockefeller funded, he, there was two Kaiser Wilhelm Institutes, they later became prominent board dire- directors of the board and or held positions on the uh, American Society for Eugenics, which was created after World War II ended. Now, one of them was, was named Franz Kallmann, and the other was Otmar Verschweyer. These were kind of like Rockefeller's right-hand men at the Kaiser Wilhelm Institutes, and they brought back a lot of the eugenics-type ideas that were uh, not, I wouldn't, I hate to say perfected in Germany because it's not a perfect idea. They were streamlined in Germany, and they brought them back to the United States and began to, uh, to apply these eugenics principles on those that were mentally uh, retarded, 
I know that's a, a, a not politically correct term today, mentally retarded, but they're they're slow in the in the in the uh, the, the true sense of the word. They are sl the slow mentally. Those that did not have perfect genes, Coleman uh, came over and and began to to uh, influence these other organizations in the United States to kill and or and or lobotomize. I, I believe that during the 1960s there were something like uh, 250,000 mental patients and other defective people that were either killed or lobotomized here in the United States under the the influence of the Rockefeller Foundation, Kaiser Wilhelm Institute, and then Ernst Rudin, which is another one of Rockefeller's associates and his staff. Um, the, this, this happened here in the United States. What about the myth about population growing and, and resources becoming scarce? We have this artificial scarcity all the time and uh, yeah. creating a, a, a scenario of survival of the fittest. This is one of those, you know, myths and the basis of the modern eugenics movement, isn't it? It is. It is. And, and it's a complete lie. The, uh, as a matter of fact, I live in the state of Texas. You could take everybody that's currently alive in the world and I can't remember how much space you could give them. It's something like a uh, uh, hundred by a hundred square foot. And, and everyone in the world would fit in the state of Texas. Now, people say, well, that doesn't mean you could provide for them. Look, anybody that's ever flown over Australia or New Zealand, there's no, there's no people there. It's all greenery and forest and, and hills and sheep grazing. I mean, it's, it's amazing. You fly over nine-tenths of the United States, and it's not populated. The 90% the of the population is in the cities. So that is a complete lie. We could feed the world several times over with current with current production right now the thing is that, that we there is artificial scarcity being created the genetically modified organisms that are being created now under the guise of feeding the world actually have been shown in recent studies to produce less than normal organic crops that are that are being you know on a, on a small farm they produce less food they, so it's not under, it's not the, the, the goal to feed the world. The goal is to create artificial scarcities, which you said, and eventually uh, drive the populations into cities so that they can be more easily controlled. The, the droughts that are being occur, that are occurring now, the, the, uh, the famines that have occurred in the last several decades, based on my research of chemtrails and weather weaponry and, and controlling the weather, most of the famines and the droughts have been created. And, and they, we are starving those populations intentionally. It's not. This is not just uh, Mother Nature uh, taking her, you know, taking revenge against these bad humans that are destroying the planet. Now these these famines and these these droughts are being created by our knowledge of how to manipulate the weather. I love it when I go to somebody's uh, home and we're doing a barbecue and we'll look up and I see, uh, you know, a few planes coming by and I said, watch those trails stay there in four hours. And they'll look at me as if I'm crazy. And they, I point at them later in the day and they say, no, 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 those are real clouds. So, you know, chemtrails is one of those fights that we're still fighting hard right now. But can you talk about, since yeah. we're talking about eugenics, can you talk about the experiment that uh, Sir Francis Galton, the father of eugenics, conducted and what were the results? Yeah, well, yeah, Galton theorized that, that um, if only the, the, the good breed of people would marry each other, then you would have better offspring, right? This, it's the, the idea of selective breeding. So Galton and uh, – I said John Galton. Yeah, you're right. For Francis Galton, um, I, was, I was buddies with John Galton in college. <laughs> That's where I've <laughs> sure. got the name. But, uh, Galton and Darwin and Huxley 
And, and I think there was another family involved. I think Wedgwood was was a family that was involved. So they they went together under this selective breeding superhuman type experiment. Well, on paper that sounded great, but the reality is that within a couple of generations, a large majority of those children that were born they died at birth, or they were physically or mentally handicapped. So their family tree actually decreased. Okay, a family tree is supposed to expand. But when, you, when you're talking about the Huxleys and the Galtons and the Darwins, those, their family tree decreased because this selective breeding, all of this interbreeding actually caused their children to die. So they're, they're creating the super race actually backfired. It did not create a super race. It created a lot of sick children that ended up dead. But, but, but the, uh, Julian Huxley was actually the first person to use the term transhumanism, which you're hearing a lot about today. And, um, and then his brother Aldous was the author of Brave New World. That's the Huxley family. So, you know, uh, despite the fact that their, their, their experiment failed, the eugenics movement continued to grow. And eugenics is, is, is a term that's used a lot today. Many folks don't understand what eugenics is, but basically what it is is uh, it's, it's selective breeding to create a, uh, a super race while the, the, the uh, subhuman or the, the subpar people, the subpar gene stocks, you know, kind of fall off the table. That's what eugenics is. But a lot of times it's also used hand in hand with uh, depopulation because that's, that they kind of do go hand in hand. Eugenics movement does go hand in hand with, with depopulation because in the end, the goal of these eugenicists, of these global cockroaches is to eliminate most of the world and for only their superhuman races to be left, despite the fact that, that their experiment back in the 1860s failed. You know, I wonder if Aldous Huxley wrote science fiction based on what he learned, on the circle that he was surrounding himself with. Do you think that a lot of what he said back then is being implemented now and he wrote it as science fiction, but in reality is becoming science fact? Well, are you, are you talking about the, his, uh, his uh, transhumanism? That and, and everything else he wrote in The Brave New World. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. You know, potentially, I, I've thought that potentially Aldous may have been, um, uh, for lack of a better word, maybe demon-possessed or possessed by some kind of an, a supernatural spirit that could could see what's coming. Because, I mean, he, this guy was way ahead of his time. So I, I, I don't know if, uh, if that was the case with him, but certainly the things that Huxley wrote about, specifically transhumanism, are starting to play out. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to think of the name of um, the guy that I read about, that we've already had cloned humans. Yes. Many people don't know that, but we've already had humans that are clones. And so, you know, I look at these things that are that are now being making the mainstream, uh, not not necessarily mainstream, but are being they're being leaked out there, and we're learning about these cloned human beings and so forth. This and, and the fact that uh, transhumanism, which which really is is for lack of a better term, you would think of as uh, Terminator. Right, the the half human, half half uh, animal. I'm mean, sorry, half human, half computer, and where the computers actually take over the human race. They're already working on that, man. They're already working on transhumanism. But when you look at all this, 150 years ago, writing about this, you would have to think that he had some kind of a supernatural influence to be able to predict what was coming down the pike, because uh, these these kind of, they didn't even know what uh, a computer was at that time. In a way, you know, when you say. Uh you know, humans mixed with animals, that's also there, chimeras. Well, yeah, chimeras. yeah, chimeras are also there, sure. And when you think about how in the 1980s, a computer replaced a lot of the, the people, I think mm -hmm. in the future, and this could be an entire movie or a book about chimeras, 
think about a manufacturing plant in the United States that cannot hire people because they're too expensive or there's you know too much to pay. They hire a group of chimeras, somebody who's 98% human, 2% you fill in the blanks. They do not fall within the constitutional rights. So they, 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 they're, they're not slaves. Imagine a future like that, but transhumanism right now. We see it. We see the, you know, how many people have several gadgets attached to their bodies. Yes, sure. you, you don't, they're not inserted in your brains, but that's coming. And the plan yeah, is to yeah. to have human 2.0. And those who don't want to stay behind, they will be the old humans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I have seen a movie or a video, Mel, it's on YouTube. And it's a guy that that wants to be the first transhuman. And he has actually implanted in his forearm a two inch by two inch or so computer chip that monitors everything about him. So that, his, yeah. His, yeah, it's really, really bizarre, but this uh, it's coming. And you look at these movies, and, and used to I thought, oh, these science fiction movies are nothing more than science fiction. You know what? The science fiction movies are them telling us what's coming down the road 20, 30, 40 years, uh, a, lot of, a lot of the movies that we see. And so when you see a movie that shows a, a – there's actually a TV show on now. I, I don't hardly ever watch TV, but there's a show that I saw a commercial for. I think it's called Almost Human. And it's about a transhuman. It's about a, compu a part computer, part human that works as a, a detective or something. So they show us these to show us what's really coming. And it's, it's kind of more of a gradual process. It's kind of like the frog boiling in the water. You put him in, in boiling water, immediately he'll jump out. But if you leak it a little bit at a time, if you just turn that nozzle up a tad at a time, eventually, supposedly, the frog will stay in there and get boiled. I've actually tried that and the frog hopped out. But that's what the, the theory is, is that the, the frog will let you boil him alive. That's what's happening with this transhumanism. We're doing it a little bit at a time until eventually we're going to be so far down the road that we can't believe how far it's gone. But it's not all at once. It's just gradual. I mean, look at the revival of the movie Robocop. That's exactly what it is. But now let's talk about another myth that a lot yeah. of people applaud. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Bill Gates of Planned Parenthood. Yeah. Tell me about the myth and the reality of Planned Parenthood. Well, I mean, you know, Planned Parenthood is uh, – People think that it's it's a great organization that's there to help women's choice and to to allow women the choice and if they have a baby or not. And you know they 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 wrap it up in this nice nice package to where Planned Parenthood sounds really good to people if if that if that's the way you're so inclined. Now the problem is that Planned Parenthood was as I mentioned it was founded by a one of the top eugenicists of her time named Margaret Sanger. A eugenicist that what that didn't just want to eliminate all dysgenic stocks, but specifically that hated black people and Hispanic people and Jews. Now, if you look at the majority of the Planned Parenthood offices or the Planned Parenthood uh, locations, over 50% of them are in what we would think of as ghetto neighborhoods. So they're they are focusing on the black community. So why would they focus on the black community, Mel? Well, the reason is that Margaret Sanger, their founder, wanted to get rid of the Negro population. And so what a better way to do it than to put the Planned Parenthood facilities right in the areas where the black people live and so they can get easy access to abortion. There's a quote that I, that I mentioned in the book of uh, Margaret Sanger, and, and this was a quote of her, and she was, she was actually writing to a, a black minister 
there was uh, the I think his name was Clarence Gamble, and he was one of the uh, one of the founders of an organization named Pathfinder. And she she was telling him that she did not she she didn't want the black community to know that they wanted to exterminate the Negro population. This is a quote from her, Mel. She, they wanted it was it was overt. Was nothing hidden. They wanted to get rid of the blacks and the Mexicans and the Jews. She called blacks, black people, uh, the black peril. She called uh, Asian people the yellow peril. Um, I mean, this is—it's it, really bizarre that someone that was that racist in, in a in a in a time that racism, of course, at that time was was cool. It was hip to be racist back then. It's not now, but it's 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 really bizarre that someone that was that racist now. In an organization like Planned Parenthood, who is who is um, funded largely by the left, uh, uh, and the left, but by that I mean uh, people that are liberal and want to have women to have the right to choose, that are more left leaning and that are extremely opposed to racism. It's bizarre that 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 organization was funded by one of the most vile racists of her time, named Margaret Sanger. That's the fact of the matter. And one of the one another quote that I that I uh, give that I attribute to Margaret Sanger in the book, one of the, she was quoted as saying the most merciful thing that a large family can do to one of its infant members is to kill it. I mean, this is it's disgusting, Mel. It's disgusting that Planned Parenthood, that the basis of Planned Parenthood was to eliminate anybody that wasn't white. Absolutely, and with the, what did she call them? Reckless breeders. Reckless Human breeders, yes. Weeds. Yeah, she called them reckless breeders, uh, breeding stock, the Black Plague. I mean, it's it's really sick that that was that was her perspective on specifically black people. And then, in, in, if you look at the number of black abortions each year, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that over uh, w over one out of every two black babies is now aborted. Over fifty percent of black babies that are born in the United States today are killed. And you know what? Margaret Sanger would be really proud because that was the, that was her goal. But she didn't just hate blacks. She hated anybody that was inferior for, you know, whatever that means. She didn't like large families. She didn't like children. She wanted to, she wanted to kill pretty much anybody. And so that's that was her goal. And her her wishes are being carried out through Planned Parenthood that uh, that murders, gosh, about one baby every minute and a half now. Wasn't she dysfunctional? Well, of course, with this mindset, she's dysfunctional. But wasn't she really dysfunctional? Uh, I don't know if it was drugs or alcohol. Oh, yeah. She was a heavy alcoholic and she was a heavy drug user. Um, and so that, you know, of course, that probably that played into a lot of her quotes and her decisions, too. Some of the quotes that you'll find from Margaret Sanger are just really bizarre. You, you're like, how could this how could anybody look up to this lady? But I see posts on Twitter and Facebook, you know, idolizing Margaret Sanger for, for her, her contribution to Planned Parenthood. Uh, you really can't idolize somebody that was that mentally whacked out. I mean, if you really uh, take the time to read some of her writings. Uh, you know, Mel, I got the statistic here. Uh, Planned Parenthood, actually, I said over 50%, 79% of the Planned Parenthood facilities are within walking distance of black or Hispanic communities. If that is not obvious as to what they're trying to do, it's just like the vaccines. And again, 
we're going to discuss a lot of this in, in the upcoming Sanitas show, but it's just like the vaccines that were given in, in Central America, Mexico, and even the Philippines, you know, giving people the vaccine for tetanus. And all of a sudden, it was be- women between the ages of, I believe, was 15 and 45. If that wasn't an obvious way to to stop the procreation in that area of the world, I don't know what else is. Yeah, yeah, you're you're talking about a an experiment. I, I'm trying to remember the details, but it was funded. It was research in the early '90s, funded by the Rockefeller Foundation, that uh, they they realized that if they could attach uh, HCG, which is human chorionic gonadotropin, right. to the tetanus shot, that they could cause late-term miscarriages and abortions. And, and so they did that to the tetanus vaccines in the Philippines, and I think it was 1994, and and women began to miscarry left and right and there were there were lots of spontaneous abortions at that time the philippines began to do some research to find out why is this happening and they found out that the tetanus vaccines that they had been shipped were laced with hcg which is causing these spontaneous abortions and miscarriages that and that that was research that was funded by the rockefeller institute and so sterility again, back to rockefeller yeah sterility as well and then and by the way that's you know, we'll, we'll talk more about health topics on the next show, but that's one of the biggest threats to our civilization today is genetically modified foods because they do cause sterility. Exactly. And now let's talk about an elephant. I say an elephant because there are plenty of them in the room. Chemtrails. Yeah. What's the myth and what's the reality that you've found? <laughs> well, I mean, chemtrails, the myth is that those are just normal. That's just normal airplane exhaust nothing up there to worry about it's planes have always laid out those crisscrossing streaks of white clouds i mean there's nothing really to worry about it's just normal contrails um people that talk about there being chemtrails are just wacko conspiracy theorists that's the myth i mean the the reality is mel that anybody that looks up at the sky with an open mind can see that there is something wrong something's fishy in denmark as the saying goes that this is not normal it's not normal to have a, a an airplane fly and the the vapor to last for hours or the entire day. And it, here's something that's interesting: you go, you look up at the sky any given time, and and I'm here between Austin and San Antonio, so we have planes flying overhead quite a bit. And you look, and you can tell where the where, which ones are the chemtrail planes that are spraying and which ones are not, because you might have two fl- planes flying at the almost exact same altitude and one of them's laying out a, a streak of you know pillow pillowy white uh cloud behind it that stretches from horizon to horizon and eventually turns into a murky haze over several hours and the plane right next to it has a normal contrail that evaporates within 20 to 30 seconds and I see this all day long. I can see which ones are laying out chemicals. I mean it's visible to the naked eye. Heck, my 3-year-old girl walked out the into the yard a couple days ago fake clouds she caught well yes they call them fake clouds and they call them kimmers but we she walked out and there was a there was two planes flying out there and she pointed at the one plane laying out the chemtrails and she said daddy that's a kimmer plane and then she pointed at the other one she said that one's not this is a three-year-old but you know what she has not been brainwashed to to call people names that think outside the box it's clear that something's going on it's just not normal for these contrails or these chemtrails to last all day long. 
And that's what, and, and, and so it's not just the visible evidence, though. Scientific analysis of chemtrail particulates has shown that with, there's aluminum, barium, strontium, other heavy metals at thousands of times the safe level. And, and I'm not talking about one isolated study. We're getting studies all over the United States that are getting these heavy metal particulates in the chemtrails, in the, in the air that's floating down. It's just not normal. And anybody that, I mean, we've got, we've got vis, visual proof all over YouTube. You can see the chemtrail planes laying out the chemtrails. If you don't believe that there is something wrong, the, the problem is not that there's lack of evidence. The problem is that you just don't want to believe it. And I think what they're trying to do also is to make it the norm. You see it in TV commercials. You see it in they Hollywood movies. So the new generation is not used to the fluffy white clouds that you and I were used to when we were growing up. Now, this is what they see. So they don't seem to yeah. question because they don't know what, what came before because they see it on TV. But when you exactly. think of aluminum, barium, strontium, folks, think of aluminum, think of Parkinson's, think of Alzheimer's. With barium, think of a depletion of potassium that causes heart attacks. And with mm -hmm. strontium, think of radioactive material that gives you cancer. So obviously, it's not good what they're spraying. It's not good what they're spraying. And the fact of the matter is, just like a lot of other things, like the Georgia Guidestones mill, they have hidden it in plain sight. I mean, they're in, in, the, in the book, in Monumental Myths, I list... And by the way, if people wanted to check out the book, my website is mythbustersbook.com. You can, you can check out the book there and you can preview most of the chapters there. The, the U.S. government actually has patents related to chemtrails and geoengineering, and I've listed half a dozen of them in the book. These are patents that the U.S. government has on different ways that they can manipulate the weather via spraying particulates in the atmosphere. So, they, I mean, it's not like that this is questionable. Are they doing it? Of course they're doing it. I've seen interviews of folks that work in the government that admit that they're chemtrailing us, but they'll, they will say that it's to help with global warming. Um, I've seen a, an interview with Al Gore, who's not my favorite person, but he has admitted that, hey, you know, maybe it's not a good idea to, to, to spray these particulates in the air to combat global warming. Maybe that's not going to be good long term for the earth. So if you look, you can see that there, it, it's not really a question of are they chemtrailing us? That they've admitted that they're chemtrailing us. The question is now, why are they doing it? And the, the answer that the government will give you now is that they are doing it to combat global warming and that these particulates of heavy metal in the atmosphere are reflecting the sunlight and helping the earth to cool so that we don't get this, this uh, global warming, man-made global warming phenomenon. The fact of the matter is, if you look at the research, the, this, this cloud of heavy metal particulates actually is causing the earth to heat up more. But, the, but, but like I said, Mel, it's not a question of are they doing it. Of course they're doing it. They admit that they're chemtrailing us. The real question is why are they doing it? My, my, uh, my opinion is there's a couple of reasons. Number one, they are doing it to manipulate and control the weather, which they can do. There was a military uh, document in the mid-1990s, mid I think it was 95, and the title of the document was Controlling the Weather by 2025. I mean, they've been doing geoengineering to control weather, to cause famines, to cause droughts, to manipulate hurricanes, tornadoes, and whatnot, rain, for decades. So that's one of the reasons. And the second reason is uh, to keep us sick, because a sick population is a population that can't fight back. And so we are all being pelted with this heavy metal particulates in the air. We don't have a choice. We have to breathe it. 
we have a choice with our water and our food. We can choose what to eat and what we can drink, but we can't choose whether or not we breathe. So uh, that's that's one choice that we don't have. And so we're all being forced to breathe this toxic sludge that, as you said, is, is resulting in Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, heart disease, dementia, and so forth. Now, for anybody who wants to learn more about chemtrails, I highly suggest you watch uh, Michael Murphy's documentaries, What in the World Are They Spraying? And Why yes. in the World Are They Spraying? There's an interview also, a very just interview with him. Also, uh, Jerry Griffin discussed this and, and a few other shows we've done on chemtrails. This is very important. And I think this is one of those that even, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I interviewed Dr. John Coleman couple of years mm-hmm. ago, the Tavistock Institute, bright man, really respect his work, and a few others. But when I ask him about chemtrails, they say, this is just, you know, this is BS. You know, why am I asking that question? And I'm really surprised that smart people, open-minded people like them would completely discount and call this just conspiracy theory. You know what, Mel? I am completely on board. I know half dozen people that really get it on almost everything else, but they still act like they don't know what's going on when they look up in the sky and they see the, the crisscross marks, the big checkerboard up in the sky. They act like that's normal. And I don't, I don't understand that. I don't get it. And that's why I chose that uh, song, Merrill Haggard, I believe, is uh, What is Wrong for the bumper music today. It's a great song that deals with all of this. But now, the myth of... The War on Terror. This is going to be a big one. We're going to discuss it and probably come back from the break later to discuss more. The myth and the reality of the war for terror, as I call it. Yeah, well, that's that's exactly what it is. The War on Terror was was uh, officially declared by President Bush right after 9-11. It was shortly after that that he declared a war on terror. And that's when he said, you know, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. And that was the war on terror. That's uh, And so people think that the war on terror is a good thing. Most Americans still think, oh, yeah, that's great. They're keeping us safe. They're keeping us safe from all the uh, al-Qaeda and the Taliban and the other terrorist groups. I mean, you know, they, they regurgitate these names, al-Qaeda, the, uh, the Taliban, the Hamas, uh, the Sunnis. They don't even know what they are. I mean, if you ask your average person on the street, what's al-Qaeda? What's, what's Taliban? Well, they, could t- they, they might use it in a sentence, but they don't have an, an idea of what it is. But that was the war on terror. Bush declared it. And the reason that he did was what? Because these terrorists attacked us on 9-11. But you know what? Terrorists didn't attack us on 9-11. We were, we, 9-11 was an inside job. Not the whole, not everyone in the government was involved. I mean, people say, you're crazy to talk about 9-11 being an inside job. I got a friend that works for the government and he wasn't involved with it. You know, that's absurd. There are small, small factions within different governmental organizations that have been behind a lot of these false flag events. The majority of people that work for the government are good people. They don't have a clue what's going on. They're just working, going to get their paycheck. There's very small factions of the elitists, the global cockroaches that I like to call them. They're not elite. They're just scumbags. But they're the ones that are planning these events. So after 9-11 happened, after we were, after we were attacked on 9-11, after we attacked ourselves on 9-11, Bush declares the war on terror. Well, why did he do that? The real reason that, that, that the war on terror was declared, Mel, is so that they could crack down on our civil liberties. I mentioned in the book, you know, when was the last time that we saw a bomb go off at a, at a, at a uh, Super Bowl game? 
When was the last time that we had a, 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 some nerve gas that went off at a shopping mall and killed thousands of people? When was the last time that we had a, a bomb on New Year's Eve in Times Square? Ah, you know what? That never, that's never happened. Why? Because they would, have, they, they would have been easy to perpetrate if there was somebody that was really after us. You know, people say terrorist organizations are after us because of our freedom. Let me, let me tell you, folks, we ain't free and we're getting less free every day. These, these organizations in other countries that, are, that w would like to attack us, and I'm not saying that there's not terrorist organizations that hate us. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that the, the, the war on terror is largely a farce because 9-11 was a created incident so that they could crack down on our civil liberties here. Because what happened right after 9-11? We had the Patriot Act. We had the John Warner Defense Authorizations Act. We had the Radical Homegrown Terrorist Act. We had all of these different acts that were implemented quickly. And what did they do? They removed our civil liberties. They made, they, they made it where we are being cracked down on here at home. They made it where the TSA is now becoming widely accepted that in order to fly, you either have to get radiated or you have to get sexually molested by a bunch of idiots that couldn't get a job at their local supermarket, but now they got a badge and a gun at an airport in a constitution-free zone, and they can do whatever the heck they want to you. After 9-11, we had all of these events over the course of the next decade that have rolled out. We had, you know, Department of Homeland Security, as I said, the John Warner Defense Authorizations Act, the Radical Homegrown Terrorist Act. We had the, the uh, um, 2008, I believe it was, that, that, that the Army... Uh, what was it called? Uh, they published something that was called strategic shocks in defense strategy development and warning that the United States would soon experience massive civil unrest in the wake of a series of crises, which they, they called strategic shock. You've got all of these things that happened after 9-11. And did they happen abroad? No, the war on terror, it, the purpose of the war on terror is to crack down on our civil liberties here in the United States. It has nothing to do with protecting us from people abroad. And I've always said this, and I've said it all the time, it sounds like a broken record, and a few weeks ago I did a show on the Nazi Hydra in America, but when I tell people that the Nazi script continues, that the Nazis didn't lose the war, they won the peace, and they came over here, and when you yes. tell them, look, Hitler had his Reichstag fire, we had 9-11, he yes. immediately got his his enabling act, we have the Patriot Act. He had fatherland security, we have homeland security. Homeland, and yes. we get a socialized medicine and we're getting it too. And he had got gun control and they're trying to do the same over here. Is that where we're going, Ty? Well, I, I think it is. And, and, you know, one of the things that I forgot to mention that, that has resulted because of this war on terror is now is the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization yes. Act which is, 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 it is unprecedented. It basically gives the president the unchecked dictatorial power in the name of protecting us, you know, protecting the homeland on, from this war on terror. It, it gives him the authority to arrest you or me, any American citizen, or anyone for that matter, without warrant, and to indefinitely detain them without charge forever, without an attorney, without any rights that we are guaranteed under Constitution, that's what the NDAA does. And he lied to the public. Obama lied to the public in 2011 when he said he would veto the NDAA. And instead, under the cloak of darkness on December 31st, 2011, when everybody was out partying on New Year's Eve, he signed it. And so the, that NDAA is another step towards Nazi Germany where they can come and they can black bag you in the middle of the night and take away all the dissenters. Because what's the first thing that happens 
what's the, one of the first things that happened in Nazi Germany after Hitler took over, after the Reichstag fire? They killed anybody that they thought would be a threat to the, a threat to the Nazi regime and the SS, didn't they? They lined them up and they shot them in the back of the head. And as a matter of fact, some of them, they made the new people that were in charge shoot. They made those that would be the new leaders shoot in the back of the head people that were deemed to be dissenters, people that could have potentially been their friends. They were forced to murder them. That is unfortunately where we may be going. That's the direction that we're heading here under the NDAA in this unchecked dictatorial authority that the president now has. I mean, look at look at the the drone strikes that, that Obama now admittedly is is doing. He's they, they've already killed American citizens with drones. Um, what was it? Anwar Al-Awlaki and his right. son. His son was a 16-year-old American boy. He was an American citizen. Now, his father was, was a suspected terrorist, but the son wasn't. Well, they killed the son, too, in a drone strike. And so he's, they have already killed American citizens with drones. And I think that this is just the tip of the iceberg. I, I hate to even fathom what the U.S. is going to look like in another five, ten years with the drones that they're that they're rolling out now. I mean, they're, they with these drones, they are going to be able to spy on everybody at every time, every minute of the day. They've got drones that now have you know night vision, where <laughs> they're infrared cameras, so they can see in the middle of the night what you're doing. I mean, it is going to be 1984 on steroids and human growth hormone combined. It's it's like nothing that we've ever dreamed of, and it's going to happen right here. Even law enforcement already bragging that they have used drones to solve certain crimes. So they're they're implanting yeah. the idea to the population that this is good. But as you said, mm -hmm. you know, above our, our, our skies, they're going to be able to see. And if any people, anybody who's out there thinks of lead paint, and I know this is not part of your book, I'm going to say this. I've had, talked to people who say the reason why the room, they, they made, they outlawed lead paint was not because it was harmful for you, but it was because x-rays cannot go through it. So all these drones flying around, if he had lead paint, they wouldn't be able to see. But that's a different story. Mm, Tell us once again how to buy this great book and just remind the audience that you'll be back in the future to Sanitas to discuss the health part. But we have another hour coming up. How can people buy this great book? Awesome. Yeah, uh, they can just go to my website, MythBustersBook.com. MythBustersBook.com. You can check it out there. As I said, you can preview the book and uh, you can get it there. Great folks, don't go anywhere. I'm here with Ty Bollinger discussing all of this and so much more when we come back. This is Mel Fabregas and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important interview. To listen to the rest, go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back. Enjoy. What I hate is statesmen speaking out of both sides of his mouth. What I hate is war still going on down in the south. What I live for is the chance to change A little bit of it all What I hate is Most folks 
don't seem to care at all. What I hate is looking up and seeing chemtrails in a clear blue sky today. What I hate is hitting roadblocks on a highway in my way. What I live for is a chance to change and be everything I can be. What I love is someone bright enough to see. What I hate. What I hate And I always will What I hate is Someone mad enough to kill What I love is Someone with a heart that's really good Now we can't change the whole wide world Maybe we can change our neighborhood This is Ty Bollinger, and you're listening to Veritas.